Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. So, Jeff and I are so excited to be sitting down here today to talk about a topic that I think both of us have experienced so closely and I know that so many people I know in this community have also experienced as well, which is overworking. And I think there is this particular culture of overworking in Asian cultures, which is something they're really keen to explore. Sitting down here today with Anne Anne to help us with this conversation. If you don't know her, she is a life coach who helps second generation women let go of cultural pressures and to stop overworking. Van Anne, it's so lovely to see you. How are you going today? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me. And you got my name right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Which, yeah, you're Vietnamese as well, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it checks out. Um, to get us started, I'd love to hear about your story, your background, and in particular, you know, what sparked this desire to become a life coach. I think there's this whole difference between overworking in general, but also your particular niche of helping second generation women overcome overworking. And I'd love to kind of know what kind of got you started into this area. Yeah, so this has probably been a couple of years in the making, but it all stemmed from my personal experiences and my childhood of having immigrant parents raised in a family where they focus a lot on our education or to get a good job so that one day we can have yeah, a good family and be comfortable and live with, you know, no worries and cares about, you know, financial issues and things like that. And Along with that came a lot of other pressures and expectations that I felt as well, especially to do with school and work. And when this really became something that I really thought about was uh, a couple of years ago when I felt like my life was on repeat. It was kind of like work, home, sleep, and everything else was like squeezed in these little time slots in between all those things. And I felt like I was looking for something different. Like my life couldn't just be work, home and sleep. Mm. Like I felt like I need to be more. And I was like, what is the purpose of this life if I'm just going to work, like earn money and then not spend it? Because <laughs> that's basically yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. And so I started looking into other things that I was interested in or looking at other avenues to earn money on the side, hopefully, and become like, you know, have other revenue streams, basically. So I started just to keep it short and sweet. I started doing some network marketing stuff and I found out that wasn't really what I wanted to do. I became a certified pop Pilates instructor and was teaching that, which was still a hobby. It's not something I would do full time. And I couldn't imagine myself like working at a gym or anything like that. And then like the pivotal moment for me was when I found out my mom had breast cancer. And that was the realization that, okay, work is important, but it's not my life. Mm-hmm. and that's when I thought okay I'll do something different I'll change something up instead of just doing something on the side I'll move schools mm. and I thought that was going to be a big deal because I've been working at this school for like five years and I moved schools and I realized that wasn't the solution because I say at that school I've learned some things I've kind of opened up some new avenues for me but that feeling was still there like I still wanted to do something 
more fulfilling and something that was bigger than the admin stuff that I was doing at school. Mm. And I realized that my life wasn't like, I wasn't living in alignment with my values. And that's a big thing that I preach in my coaching programs as well. Like I really felt like relationships with family, friends and everything was something really important to me. Yet that wasn't like the center of my life. Like I wasn't seeing my family that much, wasn't spending much time with them. I didn't see my friends that often. And that's when it really clicked. I was like, I need to change something because if that's important to me, then my life should reflect that. And so just last year, I decided that I was going to take a break or take a little break from teaching, transition out of that a little bit and spend some time doing something else. And that's when I invested in a certification program for life coaching. And I started talking about things on Instagram, but I had no idea what I was talking about. Like I can coach people, but what am I coaching them on? Mm. (laughs) And at the time I was like, what's an issue that I have that other people would would relate to? And that was like, oh, work-life balance. So I started off talking about that and I realized, okay, but it has to be something deeper than this because work-life balance is just kind of like a surface level and it's just like requires action and changing things, but it's not long-lasting changes. I felt like that anyway. And so I invested in a niche coach who helped me dive deeper into like my story, what my experiences reflected and how everything kind of came together for me was just sitting in that 90 minutes with her. And I told her my story. I was like crying my eyes out because <laughs> I had never been that vulnerable about my story before. Yeah, yeah. And so after that, I did a lot of inner work and she was like, okay, these are some suggestions that I hear when I, when I listen to your story. And it was all about the expectations and pressure that I felt from like being a child until now mm-hmm. and how I see success and how I just felt like everything I did wasn't good enough. Along with that was like the fact that I was working like 60 hour weeks sometimes. And as a teacher, you think, what? Like you work from nine to three, but in reality, that's not the case. So I always felt exhausted. I didn't have much spare time. And so I dug deeper and I made this connection with the help of my coach to kind of put the puzzle pieces together. Cause like work-life balance, yes, that's the overworking side, but then now the cultural side as well and kind of put everything together. So that's basically not really a short story. <laughs> yeah, no, amazing. And thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that. We're so grateful that you've been able to, you know, share that with us. There's so much power to the vulnerability. So thank you for that. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, this recently came up for Jeff and I, just this pressure, I think. Like, I think often overworking, like, yes, on the one hand, huge product of capitalism. That's a whole other can of worms mm-hmm. to unpack. Um, but yes. there's this really laid element of cultural pressure as well. I think especially being, you know, the children of immigrant parents mm-hmm. who've come here to Australia and there is this kind of expectation that, oh, as the beneficiaries of that immigration, you have to live up to a certain standard. And even Jeff and I were talking about yesterday, like, you know, I just finished my law degree. I'm very excited. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs) But I was telling Jeff, I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, cause I'm, I'm working at my part-time job most days a week now. And like, I finished work and I'm like, am I meant to rest? Like, am I meant to read leisurely? Am I meant to watch something? And it feels weird to have that time to rest. That's something I am personally grappling with. Mm. This pressure to be like, I have to be doing something. I have to be busy. Mm. But at the same time, rest seems so radical 
but it's so necessary and it's so important. So yeah, I, that was just kind of my personal piece on, you know, why I think this topic is so important to talk about. It's so cool to see that you coach women in particular on this very topic. So yeah, thank you for doing your work. Like it's, I think it's so important. And honestly, I might hit you up at some point to, to discuss <laughs> my kind of personal tribute. Yeah, I want to ask you a question. Like, how do you feel when you have time to rest? <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. Great question. Great question. I try. I really do try. And like, I try and take stock of it and enjoy it. But after a certain time, I feel like I need to be doing something mm. productive, whether that's upskilling myself because I'm learning Chinese at the moment, right? So I'd be like, oh, yeah. maybe I should do some homework or I don't know, maybe I should go to Pilates, you know, like I, I think mm-hmm. there's always something to do, something to improve. But what I'm trying to work on is how do I just be and just enjoy and do something that doesn't necessarily lead to an added value product sorry I don't want this to turn into a therapy session for myself which I'm enjoying it but like (laughs) but you know it's I, I think it's a very common problem I mean do you have the same experiences Jeff and also I just love to hear how you've been able to grapple with that right now in your personal life oh yeah no guilt is probably the first thing that comes to mind I think my interpretation of rest and breaks is not necessarily the one that's commonly acknowledged where it's like you have free time to do absolutely nothing like to just potato around say for example like this week i took a week off work because i just finished a huge project um we wrapped up asian futures which was Mm -hmm. another big load off our plates and the break for me hasn't been me sort of sitting around resting it's just me being able to do other things yeah. It's like breaks are, I have to do something, whether it's like clean or cook or go out and do something. It's not necessarily just like lying and resting. I don't know if that's what everyone else does or maybe that's what I've made myself believe rest, what rest is. <laughs> yeah. and, but yeah. for the last three years, I've always just had something on the side that I have to do. And I actually had a conversation with my partner about this, Isabella. I was like, imagine if I didn't have as I am. What would yeah. I do with all my time, right? It's like I'd have this chunk of several hours each week where I'd have nothing. But what mm. would I do with that? And would I actually be happy having that? I don't know. Or would you fill that time up? Yeah. W- yeah, I'd probably fill the time up with something else, right? But it's like I feel in my best shape when I'm just packed end to end. We like work, training, as I am. And Same. then I can just But is that fit bad? In. But yeah, is that, is that bad? bad though? It's like, I, I, feel I feel like I don't, I, I don't know if that's right. I, I don't yeah, know if exactly. we should be feeling right. that way. Yeah. Like, Does it have to be? Yeah. Does it have to be good or bad? Ooh. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're the life coach. <laughs> I'm asking you guys because that is a sense of perception, right? Yeah. There is no good or bad. That's true. That's it's true. It's just how do you perceive it? And how does it make you feel? Like, are you uncomfortable? I mean, you don't have to be like lounging around like being a potato, but Mm. (laughs) like it's not bad to do things on holidays either. Mm. Like I did a poll on my Instagram last week about how I was in Brisbane and I was on holiday, but I was going to the gym Mm. and nobody else worked out on holidays. (laughs) Oh, I no, That's that's amazing. I'm impressed by that. I work out on holidays. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, because like I eat so much when I'm on holiday. I need something to kind of like balance in my head. Yeah. I, look, yeah. I feel like it's a good point. Being busy in your schedules doesn't necessarily have to be good or bad because it's all personal and it, it's, it varies from person to person. I just feel like at this point, like being a busy person is just so intrinsically linked with who mm-hmm. I am. 
Yeah. That that is just like I feel like I've just accepted that part. But you know what? I, I also I don't know if you guys have like seen this, but I just I feel like there's this been this big paradigm shift when it comes to like the culture of working and overworking. Like I feel like people have really turned on it now. And like the whole like girl boss thing is like completely over. Like people are so against the systems of capitalism now. I don't know. That's like the sentiment I get. Like I think everyone Especially after COVID, I feel like there's been this big rejection of having to mm. work and having yes. to overwork. Or having flexibility um, in your work. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which I think has been incredible. But it just speaks so much to like how ingrained this paradigm is right, of overworking. And mm. I mean, it's very particular to Asian cultures too, but it's not just to Asian cultures as well. Um, no, this extends beyond like, you know? and I call it like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not only cultural pressure, but it's also the societal pressure. That's why they call it hustle culture. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And like, fuck hustle culture. I don't know. I, I just, I think maybe this is my like anti-capitalism rant, but I just feel like <laughs> it's a product of the systems we're built under rather than like, oh, I want to do this because I want to achieve that. Anyways, this is a big digression. Um, I've loved it, but let's backtrack a little bit. I mean, I'd love to hear your perspective on why you think there is this culture of overworking for second generation people in particular and for women in particular. And what have been the most common reasons in your experience? Yeah. So it's not only for women, but I specialize with women in particular. But just talking about second generation people as a whole, that I think they all experience this cultural pressure to some degree. And I think it all stems well, from my experience and with talking to a lot of people, it all stems from this need for stability and security for the future, especially from having parents who had to leave everything behind and there was instability in, you know, possibly in the country before, or maybe they they didn't have the best life and they wanted a better future for us, that I think that's, this is where it all came about. And with second generation women and why I think women experience this more, it kind of comes from my personal experiences and from talking to all my like female friends who might have come from a similar background, that I feel like women and men in our cultures are treated a little bit differently. Absolutely. And I know you've mentioned this in previous episodes as well. And for children, you know, to pick up these little hints of, you know, like how parents phrase things or how they interact with you and get you to do certain things while others aren't allowed to do that, it just becomes ingrained in you. And then you feel like you have different pressure and different expectations based on who you are in the family, whether you're the eldest child, the middle, the youngest. Either way, we're all taught to be good, right? To be a good daughter, good student, good child, good employee. And we all kind of seek this approval from others, whether that's from your parents, Mm. from your employers, whoever it is, we're always kind of seeking that validation from others. And we're also taught to take care of our family. That's another big thing, especially among Asian cultures. There's a big sense of family and that, that we gather together at certain times of the year, we call everyone we send money back overseas like there's always that need to take care of the family especially like you know the the main reasons why I think it happens is like for all these there are a lot of reasons but these are I would say my top three which are quite common amongst everyone I've talked to is that our parents lived or have you know started this whole new life and when they came here they they started living for survival like everything they did was just to get the basic needs met. Like they worked hard, they earned money, they supported the family. And 
they had to kind of just buy whatever they needed and they didn't have this luxury of having free time and buying things that you know weren't necessary so it kind of leads to this idea of like saving everything and hoarding and just like just in case mentality if anything goes wrong and so we have this need to protect our family and our parents kind of well I can't speak for your parents but my parents they kind of reminded me of their sacrifices quite often like oh we had to do all this we had to walk like how far to go to school like all these things so kind of like that guilt tripping mm. indirectly to make us appreciate what we have and all the things they provided for us yeah it's it's a tough one right because i also view it as like a cumulative effect as well it's like almost like a snowball because like they obviously went through a lot of difficult experiences to get to where they are to provide the stability for you and i think I've been thinking about this a bit more lately is the older you get and the more of those milestones that you hit, I feel like it almost really locks you down a particular path. Mm -hmm. So it's just like you graduated high school, you got your degree, you got your first job. It's like you've achieved those milestones that your parents set for you. And I feel like the more you achieve of that, it's harder to, I guess, break away Mm -hmm. from it. Because the thing I I think Mm -hmm. about is, I, I'm quite risk averse. Like I've, I want to be someone who like takes risks and takes punts, but like, I can't do it. And, you know, Isabella and I talked about this yesterday. It feels like there's this little creature that like whispers in your ear when you make decisions, um, when you consider your options, it's uh, think about it like your angel and devil, but instead it's like all your ancestors, right? It's like little, it's a little <laughs> I've thing. I've never heard of that like, one. <laughs> yeah, but like for me, I like I make a decision. And I'm just like, what would my parents think? What would my grandparents think? And I think that voice only gets stronger the more of those typical milestones that you hit, and that's something. I have been struggling with it a little bit, just because, like, with work, it's like, fuck, what do I actually want to do? I don't want to be chained to this corporate life forever. Like, I want to do other things, but now I'm like, it's tough. I have a apartment that I need to pay for. It's a bloody mortgage that's like hanging over my head, and all these. And I bet your parents are part of that. <laughs> yeah, no, this, and that's the thing, right? Because as you hit more milestones, they become increasingly more proud of you, mm. and that seriously locks you down the path. Yeah. And I feel like. I don't know. I like. I don't really have a resolution to this, but it's it's something I've been thinking about, and um, yeah, I feel like it only gets not worse, but it only becomes more powerful. This like sense of guilt and this drive to continue meeting expectations, which might ultimately lead to overworking. Yeah, I think you touched on an important point as well about how seeking your parents' approval, even though you might do it subconsciously or like indirectly, like unknowingly. But they've been talking to us about this for like how many decades now? And so it's so natural to want to make them proud because like we owe everything to them, which they keep reminding us of. (laughs) (laughs) And so like that kind of links into like the idea of indebtedness. Like we owe everything that we have to our parents who have sacrificed everything. And our parents have this unconditional love for us. And the only thing they want is for a good future for us. So they kind of praise those things that they are really proud of. Like if you get a good score in school, in a test, or if you get a good job. So all those things, they only want positive things for us, but it also leads 
to this guilt when if you like fall off the plan and you don't go according to what they think will be good for your future. Yeah, for sure. I also want to add another layer to this though. I mean, yes, you have capitalism, you have cultural pressures, but then I think there's also another layer of just like being a minority in a very white society and because of that, the expectation to make it, you have to be excellent compared to like an average white person. Does that make sense? It might be crude if I say that. No. Like I just feel like since high school, since uni, like I just feel like there's always been extracurriculars that like I've done and things that like I've tried to, like, it's like an overachiever, right? And just to dissect why I feel like that drives me, I feel like often it's rooted in this this feeling that, oh, because I'm already like a bit behind, mm. like I'm already like playing catch up, so to speak. I have to like get miles ahead or exceed my peers or like exceed that doesn't doesn't mean anything right but Mm. as in I feel like I have this need to like do extra things to get ahead Mm -hmm. in order to like make it to a level that a white person could achieve by being mediocre Mm. is that is that rude to say do you get what I'm trying to say yeah those are my very frank thoughts I just feel like mediocre white person could get so far in life and I just feel like as an Asian person, you just have to like go beyond that to achieve what they are. Where yeah. They are. Actually, I have a question about that. Where did that thought come from? Because I've had the exact same thing, but my parents planted that in me. Mm. Oh, yeah. okay. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think that's a product of what my parents have told me. I think it's more just a product of seeing the institutional privilege yeah, that a lot like of observation. families Oh, yes, but also just seeing like how generational wealth, right? Like people are already born into families where they have those systems and structures in place. They have those networks in place, right? And to play catch up as the children of immigrants whose family isn't in law, like I feel like I've needed to go the extra mile Mm -hmm. to achieve what my peers would have already been achieving, if that makes sense. Which I don't know, I I think that personally is another layer of, of why I think there is a personal drive to overwork, which may not necessarily be a good or bad thing. But even then, like, is that a good or bad thing as well? Like, it's just perception. I was wondering, does that kind of come from the idea that we are, especially in Australia, we are the minority and that we're already behind? Yeah, a little bit. But again, should that be a good reason to overwork like it shouldn't be because it shouldn't be what is the goal right is it to assimilate to be honest I don't know if I want to I mean yes we have assimilated so to speak but it's not as if proximity to whiteness is the goal to achieve right it's more just about in order to get to like where I want to go let's say in my career I haven't had the networks that let's my peers have had for example in law does that make sense? No, it does. No, no, no it, it does. It does make yeah. sense because it's like yeah. there's, there's a reason why my parents told me the same thing, right? I remember the first yeah. corporate job I had. I was an economist. My first day, my parents both said to me, "It's like you're gonna have to work much harder, mm. just because yeah. you're not operating at the same level. Like they're starting here and you're starting here. Like you have to work harder. Yeah, yeah, that equality. Prove- yeah, yeah. To actually like it, and like I don't. I don't know if that's the best thing to like tell somebody. It's like it kind of, yeah. It kind of Maybe fucks. they were motivating you to work harder. Yeah, obviously, obviously. But I feel like it actually negatively impacted yeah. my working experience because it made me like antagonize all my coworkers. It made me feel like I was like competing purely just on like effort. And so, like, I really kept to myself and yeah. I really didn't enjoy work. Like, they were telling me to like not tell people about my personal lives because they would use that against me. 
Like shit like that. That's like mm. real. These like, are the fears my parents that. Yeah. Because our parents have fears, opinions, and beliefs about, you know, their interactions with people when they first came to Australia and they pass it on to mm. us. And, you know, a lot of things that we perceive about the world and about other people come from how we've grown up and what we've heard and seen or the messages that we received subconsciously or directly about the world. And it's all like built up before we're seven years old. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, so even if we feel like maybe it's not from our parents, it could possibly be because when they had to assimilate into Australian society, they had all these fears about, you know, like they don't have the language, they don't have the money, they don't have anything here, basically. And they had to build everything up themselves. So they were behind and they had to work extra hard to, you know, not even make as much as someone who works, you know, a white collar job. Yeah, it's a weird one. And like, to be honest, I'm still I'm still coming to grips with it. But I think for me, um, at least on the personal level, when I stopped viewing my co-workers as like competitors and it was like, this is a cohesive work environment where we can all succeed together, I feel like I had a much better working experience. I think just like I got so much in my head about like, it's a dog-eat-dog world, right? It's me or them, all that sort of stuff. That hostile mentality... I don't feel like it's necessarily like the healthiest thing for you to bring into to your working life. And I feel like that becomes quite a strong driver of overworking as well because you're like, I have to go, I have to push, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. And it's like, it's not super healthy. Um, but obviously like we've talked a lot about, you know, our experiences and what how our past has influenced our relationship to work and our, our desire to be successful. But, you know, obviously we want to talk about some of the resolutions. And so... What are some sort of techniques that you recommend for people to overcome this cultural pressure that we place on ourselves, whether it is to work really hard, whether or not it's something that, you know, we just want to succeed? Like what's something that you've sort of recommended and you've seen some success with as well? Yeah. And also what have you done yourself like to overcome, you know, your own personal experiences? Well, my process I've done myself and I've kind of, compile a bunch of things that I've done and experienced to overcome this. And I say that the process is what I do is like focus on three things. And that's part of my programs as well. And the first part is unlearning these beliefs, because if you don't recognize what you're, what you're actually doing and you're unaware of it, then how can you change it? So that's the first part. The next is rebuilding your identity because that's really important, like how you see yourself. A lot of the times we base our identity on what, how other people perceive us. And without realizing that, you don't know how to change it because what if you don't want to be that person? And the last part is having a clear vision of success. What does success mean? And really being clear on what's another way for you to be successful without having to work so hard and like, you know, working yourself to the ground, being exhausted all the time, being burnt out. Because I think that's a a lot of the beliefs that we have around success. It's like about the achievement, about working hard, about earning more money than other people, having that nice house. So that's the process that I've been working on and developing mm. for myself, but also my clients as well. This is great advice. Yeah. This is a- <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Taking notes. I hope that's helpful. No, that is, that is really helpful. And we, we really appreciate that. I, I do have a question though. How do you reconcile, you know, this idea of redefining success to not be product driven, right? Mm. With a system 
we're under of capitalism, <laughs> like just inherently. No, I'm, I'm serious yeah, no, though. It's right. a, I feel like that's a very legitimate question. Like Australia is a very liberal democratic society, but yes, we're operating in a capitalist society. How do you reconcile that? Because isn't that what we're all kind of working to achieve? More money, more financial fiscal power or whatever it is that economists use. <laughs> <laughs> Buying power, that's the word. Buying power. Yeah, I think there's always going to be the underlying issue present. Like it's not, you can't control everything about your workplace, about the whole system. It's all built on, you know, working efficiently, working effectively, being productive. And of course, that all leads to money for some CEO that we're working for. Mm-hmm. So I think you, you can only control what you can control. So yourself, your little desk, what you do when you get home from work and what you do, like how you spend your time during work. I mean, you can work like crazy during work hours, but then if you can't take some time off and realize that, you know, you've achieved a lot during your work hours and do something to celebrate, then you won't ever appreciate what you actually do. So I think the first part and that I've been working on with my clients as well is understanding what is really important to you. So what is your purpose kind of in life or another way to phrase it is what are your values keep it really simple for me relationships is really important then at work maybe I'll as a teacher I'll work on cultivating those relationships with the children with their parents and family so I still get that sense of fulfillment and establish those relationships without you know spending so much time on the things that aren't actually as valuable to me like the admin stuff that I do at work it's also important. I can still do them, but I won't spend like 150% of my energy on that. So I think yeah. realize and recognize what is valuable to you and mm-hmm. how can you incorporate more of your time and energy into those parts and then also like set boundaries. I know mm-hmm. that's a big one. That's really hard, especially when you have people chasing you up all day about like when things are done. But boundaries can be as simple as what are you not going to do so I've heard this before uh having a not to do list Mm. so instead of having a list of what you're going to do and tick it off what are you not going to do so I'm not going to be spending hours after school doing work I'm not going to be leaving at 6 p.m at school like after school I really like that that's really Um, simple it kind of it kind of redefines the idea of boundaries because people have this hesitation about like setting boundaries, saying no to people. Like it's not about saying no to them. It's not about them. It's about how are you going to stand up for yourself? So having those clear limits of how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to respond to people, that kind of allows you to kind of take a step back from like rejecting someone or making them feel bad. Yeah, That has been really helpful for me. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And, you know, as grim as it sounds as well, I think sometimes what I often do is just, like, think about the fact that we're all going to die someday. Love it. But, you know, and I think because of that, it's just like, well, what am I really going to do? Like, I'm going to enjoy my, like, my life as best as I can. And, yes, like, you know, like, I'll work hard and put effort into everything I, I do but at the end of the day what is valuable to me it's relationship it's my family it's my friends I think that thinking about death really kind of gives me yeah. the ability to kind of prioritize what I want to do with my life mm. because no one's going to make it out of this right so you might as well try and enjoy it while you can yeah I thought about like one of the really simple questions that I've asked myself is am I living to work or working to live because a lot of yes. us spend so much time yeah. at work, but we don't spend our annual leave. We don't actually take time off and do those things that we that we so desperately want to do. 
And so what are we working for? 100%. This is way better than the um, session of therapy I had earlier this week. Holy crap, that was, that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great session. I mean, I know this is a podcast episode, but wow, I feel like I... <laughs> I really, I really benefited from your, your wisdom. So thank you so much. No, it was a great conversation with you guys. And I think there is a lot to say about this because we all relate so much to it, right? Yeah. And yeah, 100%. yeah it's just our, our day-to-day working <laughs> and overworking yeah. and, you know, trying to make time for everything else you want to do. For sure. Last question, but not least, though. What is ultimately the goal that you're trying to achieve with your business? Mm. I mean, I'd also love to kind of hear your perspective on how long you think it will take for many Asian Australians like us to really let go of these habits and negative tendencies to overwork. Yeah, so my ultimate goal is basically to connect people together and have them realise that their life can be so much more and that they can find meaning, they can find purpose and they can live intentionally and be proud of what they've achieved in their life. That's basically what I want to do, but there are so many different ways to do that. And what I want to hopefully do one day is to have bigger like live events, like how you guys have your events as well, all the way in Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, maybe host retreats and things like that to really get people to like get away from their work. Don't think about it, you know, get away from everything and slow down because I've had to do that many times and it has been so helpful just to get yourself away from that environment and the people around who are also thinking about the same thing. And in terms of how long it will take, this is going to be a slow process. It's not something that changes overnight. It's nothing that changes through like, you know, a three-month program with me. So it's an ongoing thing. I'm still going through it. I'm still working on letting go of cultural pressures that come up because as you go through new stages in life or new things, like you get a new job, you experience different pressure. So everything keeps changing. But, you know, having that hustle culture behind us, that's always like, keep working, keep working more. Like you're not doing enough. You're not good enough as you are. All those things makes it really hard. But I think this cultural perspective is shifting with us, especially as we're, you know, having conversations about it. We're questioning everything that we've been taught. But we also don't have the fears and opinions of our parents as well. Like we've grown up in Australia, so we didn't have to focus on like building a life from scratch. And we were able to go to university. Like we work full time and we are able to to sustain ourselves. And now even like we're moving away from this focus on like, you know, getting married by a certain age and staying in one particular job. Like we travel now. And we have time to focus on our careers later in life as well. So I think we have so many more opportunities than our parents did. So fingers crossed that things get better for all of us and that we help each other. That's the most important thing because all these expectations come as we talk about it with everyone. So if we kind of shift that conversation to something more productive and that's not centered around work all the time, then I think that will change. Amazing. More of a story, fuck capitalism, <laughs> but also what better way, what better way to rethink the way we work than post-pandemic, post-COVID, I mean, technically we still are in the pandemic, but you know, in a time when values and priorities around things outside of work have been so much more spotlighted, essentially. Um, and it's incredible to see the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for this session, this podcast, episode, but also this session. Um, it's been an absolute delight to have you on. 
Thank you so much for this conversation and thank you for joining me. <laughs> no worries. This has been, again, as, as I said before, way better than the therapy session I had. Really, really enjoyed this episode. So thanks so much for jumping on, Ben. And, and if you guys enjoy this episode at home, make sure to give it five stars wherever you get your podcast. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. See you later. Bye.